we are going to end the friend of God. I hope it has blessed you. And uh, it just it feels like in prayer this week, the Lord gave me some things to say, and then I felt like it was to come to an end. But as we wrap up our teaching on this, I want to encourage you to believe. Listen, you've heard me say this. and I, In much of the church world, there's a great deal of confusion, even fear. But in much of the church world, they equate forgiveness with redemption and they teach them as if they're one and the same. As if the totality of redemption is forgiveness. And what I want to encourage you and, and, and implore you to please understand and accept as the truth is that forgiveness is the building block of redemption. It's the doorway into redemption. Forgiveness was necessary so that redemption could begin, but redemption is not merely forgiveness. Redemption, how many of you have heard me say this to you before, that you'll never truly appreciate redemption if you don't understand creation? Because God, Christ, did not redeem you just to forgive you from your sins so you could go to heaven. He redeemed you. He forgave you so He could redeem you. He redeemed you so He could restore you back to what God originally had intended for man. So that you would be now as if sin had never existed. Can you let that sink in? Everyone say, Selah. It means I'm thinking about this. What would your life be like if sin had never entered in? What would your life be like if you had never, ever sinned, never made a mistake? What would it be like? I imagine it would be much like the life of Jesus Christ. Don't you? Did Jesus ever get sick? Did Jesus ever have a financial struggle? Did Jesus ever meet an opposition, an enemy that he didn't overcome? Did he ever meet a riddle he didn't know the solution to? No, Jesus was the winner, man. Right? And so if you and I understood that we have been justified, made right, that really you and I right now, see our minds have trouble with it, but our hearts don't. That you and I right now are living spiritually as if sin had never existed. You have been made, get this, the righteousness of God. How much more righteous do you imagine you need to be? I'll just preach to the wall because y'all ain't. How much more righteous do you need to be to deserve victory? See, you're letting, oh, come on. We struggle with condemnation because our minds remember our mistakes. And we look back at what we've done and where we've come from and how bad we were and we say Lord I'm not worthy of this I'm not worthy of that that is a brand a type of self-righteousness because you're coming to him believing what he can do for you based upon your activity and let me the, the downside of it is just as ungodly as the upside of it To say that I'm unworthy is just as bad as saying I'm worthy because I am perfect. You understand? It's the same thing. Two sides of the same quarter, baby. We come to him and say, Father, I'm worthy through Christ because of what he's done for me. 
and we have no condemnation in our life. So when the Lord says, I want you to be my friend, we don't shrink back from it because, oh, I'm not worthy. Lord, if I could just be a servant in your household. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? I ain't even got to the sermon yet. But we, we shrink back just, Lord, I have sinned in your sight. And if you'll just accept me as a servant, I know I got to live on the outside. I have no right to think I can come into the inside. If you'll just let me have barely enough to survive, Lord, I'll be ever so grateful. That hurts his heart. Because what he wants to do is hug you and embrace you and put a ring back on your finger and put unsoiled shoes on your feet and clothe you in a robe of righteousness and turn around and tell the angels, go and prepare the fat calf because we are going to party. Because this son of mine has finally woken up and realized I made him righteous. Every promise in the kingdom is theirs. I want to prosper them. I want to heal them. I want to give them joy unspeakable. I want to give them such a life that stress is no longer a a player in their life. That they wake up every day excited, exhilarated, wondering, I wonder what the Lord's going to do for me today. Because don't you know the Bible says that he will daily, daily, every day. He's better than Amazon. Amazon don't show up at my door every day. He shows up every day with blessings and goodness and mercy. I wish somebody was listening to what I'm saying right now. It's all about what he did. And so I want, I want to encourage you, listen, when we understand that the redemption is more than just forgiveness, it's about the restoration of all things. And if we believe that God created man to be his friend, to be on the same level, in the very beginning when God spoke, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And Psalm 8 The Bible says, what is man? Don't understand this creature. What is man that you're so mindful of him that he's never out of your sight? You're always thinking about him. What is this man? You've made him just a little lower. See, even the Bible translators would trip up because if you do a word search there, that word is Elohim. It's never used for any other purpose but God. But God, you made him a little lower, just a shade lower than yourself. What is this man? Why would you do such a thing? And God did it because God wanted someone who could fellowship with him, be in his class, have his character, have his heart, and be his friend. So when Jesus comes along, he says, I'm not calling you slaves anymore because that was never my intent. My intent was always to have you close. Closer than a brother. I wanted you to be my friend. Everyone say, I am a friend of God. Friendship, as I told you, is the highest evolution of love. There is no greater love than that. Today I'm going to pull out of the Scriptures an ancient story. But when I'm pulling it out of the Scriptures, understand this, that Paul said in the book of Romans that everything that was written... Before time, it was written for our instruction 
Never, never see biblical stories as ancient stories from a faraway land that have no implication, no application in our lives. Because everything that was written was written for our instructions. And there is contained within the scripture an amazing story of friendship and love. Better than Romeo and Juliet. It's the story of David and Jonathan. So if you would, go to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. And I want us to look at verse 1. As you're going there or flipping your eyes up on the screen, understand that in, in chapter 17, David has just killed Goliath. He's standing there before the king named Saul, holding a bloody head in his hands. And Saul's inquiring about where you came from and who are you and how did you do this thing. And As Jonathan is hearing David speak, this is where we come in in verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, listen to this, that the soul of Jonathan was knit. I've said to you before that a friend has been defined as one soul in two bodies. Because you have the same intention. You have the same goals, the same aspirations. See, this is, when, we, when I say we're being, about being a friend of God, it's not just about receiving things. It's not that. If I'm a friend of God, then God's needs are my needs. See, this is what I talked about last week. If, if someone's naked and God wants to clothe them and I do it, I'm doing exactly what God wanted done. Why? Because I have his heart, his character, his ambition. If, if, if it'll help settle it for you, I'll say it this way, not my will, but thy will. A friend of God always does the will of God because it's his greatest goal. I want to make my friend happy. The soul of Jonathan was knit. Now, I know we have some people that sow and do different things, but when I read this, I can't help but think about Hala. I've watched Hala in some of our meetings. She does, what's that called? Is that quilting or knitting? Where is Hala? Knitting. And she don't even look at what she's doing. She takes these two different threads and she intertwines them and ties them all up together and creates something totally new. That's what happened here when, when Jonathan was listening to David. His soul was knit as, as if two souls became one soul. They were intertwined. And of the two, God made one new. How many of you know we are greater and stronger together than we are apart? Man was not created for isolation. You need friends. And I'm not, once again, not those Facebook jokers. And not people that call themselves your friend, but the first opportunity that you have, they're going to hurt you. You need to learn to define and understand who sent who and why they're in your life. Don't call everybody your friend. Don't let everyone into the inner circle of your confidence. Because if they are your friend, they'll be a foe to your foes. They'll be a friend to your friends. And they'll strengthen you. A true friend is never your opponent, always your proponent. Did you get that? Yes, sir. 
A true friend will celebrate your victories as if they are their own. In fact, let me say it this way. They may very well celebrate your victories more than they would their own because they're more happy to see you succeed. The New Testament says it this way. Let us consider our brethren more than we do ourselves. Can you imagine how revolutionary it would be in the church if we would be each other's friends? No more jealousy. No more looking at someone up on the stage and going, that ought to be my place. And we critique and criticize and condemn one another. Why? Because if I can demote them, then maybe I can get pre-moted, promoted. Listen, if you're scheming for promotion, if you get it, you'll lose it. You know why? Because the way you enter, the seeds you sowed to get there, somebody else will do the same thing to you. You can always watch churches that were birthed in a split, they will be split. Shundali undai. We were created for community. We were fashioned by the hands of God for family. We were formed by the divine for fellowship and friendship. Our hearts yearn for friends. So does the Lord's. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan, his soul was knit to the soul of David. And listen, listen to this. Jonathan loved him as himself. As David spoke, Jonathan was drawn to him until the, 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 the drawing was so close, a fusion took place. Do you not see that when the Lord says, I want you to be my friend, that's what he has in mind? The Lord says, listen, I don't want you sitting at the foot of the mountain. I want you to ascend. Everyone say, higher, higher. deeper. Y'all ain't saying it. Everyone say, higher, higher. Deeper. deeper, closer. That ought to be our heart's desire. We ought to want to get so close to God that there's eventually a fusion that takes place. And we, like our master, can look at the world and say, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Why? Because I've made his desires my desires. I've made his will my will. I've made his goals my goals. I've made his ambitions my ambitions. The, 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 the meat that I live on is to do the will of him who sent me to this place. That's what Jesus said. He said it so many times. He said, listen, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? Because he didn't come to do his own thing. But he came to do the will of him who sent him. Jesus was sent. You, my friend, have been sent. You've been sent here. You've been sent to your place of employment. You've been sent to the environment you're in. Not to be defeated, but to overcome it. To take that, the places of darkness and transition them and transfer them into the kingdom of light. Yes. You are called to be overcomers, not overcome. Amen. So you're a sent one. Yes, sir. And if you're a sent one, then your single greatest ambition is to do the will of your friend. I want you to appreciate the imagery here. I didn't start my clock. Thank you, Father. That gives me more time. 
Because I'm going to need it if I keep chasing these rabbits. They're all over the place every week. I think Lewis brings them. He's the one that prophesied it. He told me one day, he said, Pastor, I think when you chase the rabbit, you're more anointed. That's all the permission I needed. So if I chase too many, see the tall man after service. He's easy to find. <laughs> Listen, in David, we can really see ourselves. And this is what I want you to see. I want you to see the imagery here. Because it's not just the story of two men long ago who became fast and steady friends. In them, we see ourselves. David, David is one of my favorite characters. There's a lot of people I want to meet when I get to heaven. Of course, the first one is Jesus. But eventually, I want to track down this dude named David. Deborah was telling me the other day that when I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing. So I'm going to track down David. Maybe Elvis, Marvin Gaye, and we're going to do a, what do you call it when you got four? Quartet. And I'm going to have the solo. But I digress. David is one of the most well-known characters and the most least understood. See, we all know David's victories. But according to Jewish tradition, and someday I'll break it down for you, that David's childhood really even his early adulthood from the age of birth until 28 when he was anointed to be the king David's life was horrible David was David was rejected by his brothers by his father by his community in the book of Psalms David will give hints we can hear the voice of David and and, and, and when we hear his voice, I can't help but reading it. I love the book of Psalms. And when I read it, I hear many times not only a voice of triumph, but a voice of torment. And it's OK to understand, because how many of you know, sometimes our voices are triumphant and other times our voices are tormented. But whether tormented or triumphant, as long as we're going to him, he will take our ashes and give us beauty. He will make sure we don't stay in the place of torment. David began as an unwanted, most likely a love child who was looked down upon and considered a child of sin. David said, listen, I, mean, I, don't want, I want you to understand because this is how we can relate to David. And if we relate to David, we'll appreciate friendship because in this story, Jonathan represents Jesus. David had been betrayed by his own family. And I don't think there's a one of us in this congregation or listening to me online or by television. We haven't known the sting of betrayal. And the worst betrayal when, is when it comes by those who were supposed to love us and protect us, but they abandoned us and rejected us. David knew what that was like. His own brothers reviled him. David said that those who sat in the city on the, in the corners of the streets, the elders and the wise men, they spoke ill of David. Yes. David was the butt of every joke and the, pro, the, the cause of every problem in Bethlehem. David said, I got to repay things I didn't even steal. David said, I'm the butt of the drunkard's jokes. When they got together and they partied and they got drunk, they talked about David. How many of you have ever known the sting of not being invited to a party? Hmm? How, can you imagine how it would feel if it was your own daddy that didn't invite you? 
when the prophet Samuel came to town. You'll remember the story. The elders met him at the gates. And according to Jewish tradition, the reason why they were afraid, remember they asked Samuel, have you come in peace? Because they thought that Samuel was coming to speak a curse over Bethlehem because they hadn't killed David. They were allowing David to live, this child of sin in their community. So they were afraid when the prophet came, they were, the prophet was coming to condemn them for not killing him. Have you come in peace? And the prophet says, I'm here for a peaceful reason. I want to have a feast. I want you to go tell Jesse to come to the party with his sons. The implication is all of them. Jesse had eight. He only brought seven. The eighth one wasn't even considered a son. Again, is this okay? Are you getting anything out of this? I, I want you to see we can see ourselves in David. Because see, some of us think that we can never become more than who we are because of where we come from. I know some of you. I've heard some of your stories. And some of the stories I've heard have brought me to tears. Because when I thought I had it bad, I heard your stories and realized I didn't have it so bad. But then when I think about David's story, I realize you didn't have it so bad either. It doesn't matter what our past was. God is greater than our past. It doesn't matter if mama rejected you, daddy rejected you, uncle abused you, aunt abused you. God is greater than that. And your destiny is so much brighter than your history if you would simply let it go. The prophet said, bring your sons. Instead of bringing David, they sent David out to the back 40. They sent David way out. They didn't want him nowhere near the place. You know, they wouldn't even let David eat at the family table. This, this explains why, and I'm jumping, but when, many years later when David was king, and he was looking for someone to love because of how he loved Jonathan. He said, is there no one I can express my love for Jonathan to? And he found a man named Mephibosheth. Say that three times real fast. He told Mephibosheth, you're eating at my table. Do you know why that was such a big deal? Because David knew what it was like not to eat at the family table. David was resigned to eating with the servants. Because he wasn't considered a son. So when the prophet looked, and this is who Jonathan was talking to, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is show you that friendship is not built upon commonality of the flesh. Even commonality of history. Sometimes we choose our friends because we went to school with them. You've got to have a greater reason. Your friendships ought to be determined by a common heart, a common destiny, a common love, not a common history. Just because you went to high school with me means nothing. I've had people come to me and think I ought to give them a position because they went to the same Bible school I did. Well, so did 7,000 other people. You hearing what I'm saying? Jonathan and David had nothing in common. Nothing. Not a thing. And yet their souls were still knit together. When the, prophet, when the prophet scanned, he thought, you know, I look at Abinadab and, man, big, tall, good looking. This has got to be the one. And the Lord said, that's not him. And he went down the line until finally 
He looked at Jesse and said, don't you got no one else? And Jesse only reluctantly didn't even want to admit it. Well, there is that one. He ain't really a son. But if you want to, are you sure this ain't? There's seven good-looking guys here. Are you sure? I'm ad-libbing a little bit. The prophet said, bring the other. So they sent somebody running, and I don't know how long it took, but David was way out. And they had to run all the way to get David, and then run all the way back. Now here's what I want you to see. The other boys had a chance to prepare. They had brill cream in their hair. They were looking good. They were, they were clean. They had their best outfits on, smelling good, looking good. David come in sweaty and stanky and smelling like poo-poo. They didn't let David change. Why? Because it's David. And the prophet says, this is the one. And over all of that stank of the sheep and the sweat of running, the prophet, oh, listen, y'all got to catch this imagery. The Lord ain't waiting for you to get cleaned up to anoint you. He's cleaned you up with his word. He cleansed you with the power of his word. And over you, th you think, man, but pa Lord, you can't do this to me because I, I stank and I'm sweaty and I'm no good and they don't even love me. Not everyone's got to love you. You need to get that through your head. Not everyone's got to love you for you to have a future. Not everyone's got to love you for you to have your destiny. You only really need one friend. Especially when that one is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the owner of everything who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and there ain't no closed door he can't open. The prophet poured that anointing oil. The brothers, did they rejoice with David? Oh, heck no. They hated him even more. See, that's what I'm telling you. A friend will not get angry when you get promoted. A friend will not get angry when you have a breakthrough. You don't have to hide your blessings from a friend. When you tell your friend, look at what the Lord has done for me. He's given me a new car. He gave me a new house. Look, I just want you, would you come and see my house? Would you come and look at what the Lord did for me? When they walk in, they ain't going to get, you don't need a house so big. If they do that, kick them out. Y'all think I'm joking. If they're going to come in and speak curses over what the Lord just gave you, escort them out the door. Because in this house, we're going to give him thanks for what he's done. He filled this house with good and godly things. You see that china cabinet over there? The Lord gave me that china cabinet. If you can't speak good over that china cabinet... Because I only want to be surrounded with people. Oh, come and let us celebrate the goodness of the Lord together. Oh, come and let us rejoice before the Lord together. I only want people in my life who will celebrate the goodness of God with me. Not people who will get upset because the Lord done blessed me. And I want to be that kind of person for you. I've got a pastor friend in another state. He says I'm the only one he can call when God does something good for him. He's told me that. He said, I can't call anyone else because they get bitter. He said, you're the only one I can call and you'll celebrate with me. And you want to know what I told him? I said, because I know you, dude. And I know if the Lord will do that for you, 
There ain't no telling what he'll do for me. And he goes, yeah, you're right. You're right. Let's celebrate together. No more bitterness in the house of God. Hallelujah, Father. I'm, I'm wandering all over the place. David would say, just ending this up with David, David made the comment, he said, in iniquity did my mother birth me. Every one of us have been born in iniquity. Doesn't matter if our parents just met in a club and never saw each other again or they were happily married for 50 years. We were all born in iniquity. But how we were born doesn't determine where we're going. Jonathan, on the other hand, Jonathan never knew a hard day in his life. Jonathan never knew what betrayal was. He was, I want you to hear this, he was the son of the king. Not a king. He was the first king. So he was the son of the king. He was the crowned prince of Israel. He was always dressed in the best. Justice, you want to talk about drip? Jonathan had drip. Jonathan was dressed like royalty. You never had to wonder where Jonathan came from because when you saw Jonathan, you saw style. Yes, sir. And Jonathan, by all accounts, I don't want to, is this okay? Oh, Jonathan would have been a great king. Jonathan wasn't like his daddy. Jonathan was a noble spirit. Jonathan had accomplished great things. And Jonathan would have been an extraordinary king. And if Jonathan knew of the prophetic word, and he may have, because later on he admitted even his daddy knew that David was going to be the next king. He may have known this upstart from nowhere who's standing before me, clothed like a servant, dripping of blood. This is the next king of Israel. And you know, Jonathan would say in just a couple chapters, you're going to be the next king and I'm going to stand next to you, and even Daddy-O knows it. I love this about Jonathan. Jonathan, you hear what he just said? You're going to be the... I was born to the position. This is by right mine. Mine, 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 mine. But God said, no, David. And Jonathan said, okay. You're, see, that's a friend. Listen, a true friend, if you're all are vying for the same position, and you get it, and they don't, they're going to say, that's okay. Because I'll stand next to you because my soul's knit to you. So they had nothing in common. Here's Jonathan, clean, smelling good, brill cream in his hair. The anointed prince of Israel. There's little Rudy, R-U-D-D-Y, which means petite. David. And Jonathan says, I love you. I am for you, not against you. I want to promote you, not demote you. I am, from this day forward, your friend. Committed to and dedicated to. Jonathan said this, in essence. And remember, this is Jesus. The imagery is rich. Jonathan said, if they come after you, I'm going to put myself between you and them. And Jonathan would do this. If you know the story, you know that Jonathan put himself in harm's way. He put himself between the mad king Saul and David. It got Saul so angry, Saul yelled at his son, you traitor, and tried to murder his own son. Yes, 
true friend is going to stand between you and the pain, if only in prayer. Let's keep reading. Hallelujah, Father. Is this okay this morning? The friendship of God, we ought to so value it that we become it. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made a covenant with him. Why? Because he had to? No, 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 no. Because he loved him as himself. I want you to see that this is a theme throughout the Bible. How many of you ever heard those, those that, that, there are four apostles that run around the land. We called them the Beatles. All you need is love. Dun, da, 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 da. Love is all you need. Man, we ought to listen to that song once in a while because we need some love up in the house of God. And this is a theme throughout the Bible. Jesus would echo this in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. He said, you shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, he said. And then Paul would much later write it in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jonathan, I, I think that both Jesus and Paul were remembering the story of Jonathan and David. Because Jonathan loved David as himself. So Jonathan did not see David as an opponent. He did not see him as someone to be squashed. He did not see him as someone to be belittled with his words or his deeds. He did not see him as an opponent. Jonathan became the greatest proponent, the greatest friend of David. Hear me when I say this. Listen to this. True Christianity consists in devotion to a person. It's not about doctrine. Doctrine's good, but it's not about doctrine. Behavior is good. It's good to behave in a godly way. But true Christianity is not found in our behavior, our dress code, our hairstyle. True Christianity is not found because we wear no color. And we do the church of God jerk. True Christianity is not found in a... <laughs> you understand? True Christianity is found in unyielding, unchanging devotion to a person. True Christianity is revealed in my devotion to God in the form of Jesus Christ. That I will love him as I love myself. That I will put his needs above my needs. I will put his ambitions before my ambitions. And if someone comes after God in word or deed, I put myself in harm's way and say, you're not going to talk about my daddy that way. You cannot talk about this. Listen, listen. You ought to never let someone diminish your God in your presence. You don't got to be harsh. You don't got to be mean. But you can say, no, 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 no. In my house, the house that God has given me, we don't talk about my friend that way. You understand what I'm saying? I don't let anyone talk bad about my wife. 
whether it's her family, my family, a stranger, you talk bad about my wife, you and I will have issues. I love the Lord more than I love my wife. So it's no small thing to come after my friend. And you know what? He's devoted just like that to me. Shalababa. The biggest, strongest personality in all of creation says, Jimmy, I got your back. And not only do I got your back, I got your front. Not only do I got your front, I got above you, I got beside you, I got beneath you. In order for them to get to you, they're going to come through me because I am your friend. See, we grow by revelation. We got to understand that mm, when God is my friend, he is undeniably committed to me. And when I'm his friend, I'm unendingly devoted to him. Okay, I got a few more minutes. Jonathan continued in verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, don't miss the imagery here. The story of David and Jonathan is an illustration of the love which Christ offers to us. The Prince of Heaven, much like the Prince of Israel, Christ comes seeking relationship, a friendship with us. Listen to this. Christ sees something in us, even at our worst, that He loves and that seems to Him worth living and dying for. Do you hear that? Even at my worst, He saw something in me that he deemed worth, we sing it, he deemed worth living and dying for. Oh, we used to sing it. There's a childhood song we used to sing many years ago. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Number two, notice that Jonathan's love prompted him to give his own clothes to David so that his humble friend might look as much the prince as he. Christ comes offering to clothe us in His own beautiful garments and purity and righteousness so we don't appear the way we used to appear. How many of you ever heard of a robe of righteousness? Number three, Jonathan bestowed upon David not only his own clothing, but gave him his own armor and weapons. So Christ equips us with every weapon with which He battled in this world when he was tempted in all points like we are, and yet came off victorious without sin. He gives us the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. On our feet he puts shoes made for the preparation of the gospel of peace. On the left arm we carry the shield of faith. Hmm. A wonderful shield that's able to block every fiery dart. Do you see what a friend does? Jonathan stripped himself of everything that said, I'm royalty and you're not. So if a stranger were to walk up at that moment, the moment after it was done, they wouldn't know who the prince of Israel was and was not. Let me say that again. If a stranger were to have walked up as soon as this was done and David had on the robe, he had on the armor, 
He was having the, the, the sword that no one else in Israel had a sword like this sword. You know, monarchs of old had their own weaponry. Nobody had a sword as good as the princes. Perhaps the king, but no one else. David was there arrayed like a prince. So if somebody had walked up, they would be wondering, are you the prince of Israel or are you? And the answer would be yes. Because even as he is, even as he is, so are we in this world. So if somebody were to walk up to us and say, I know Jesus is the winner, man. But are you? Yeah, I know he conquered and won. But did you? Yeah, because everything that he did was bequeathed to me. This is what... This is what made Paul so extraordinary. Paul had a unique perspective where others would say Jesus died. Paul would say I died with him. Where others might be willing to say Jesus rose from the dead, Paul would say I rose with him. Where others might say, hey, He's ascended on high and seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul would say, I've been made to sit with him in heavenly places. You see, the, the secret is to identify with him. That's friendship. Friendship is when I identify with you so closely that there is no division. Do you see what I'm saying? Hallelujah, Father. No wonder this is the end game of God. To make us his friends so that in this world we're walking as he walked, talking like he talked, seeking the same goals as him. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Hmm. Hallelujah, Father. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I'll bring this to a close as soon as I'm done. You have my word. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have the attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Do you see? This is, what, this is exactly what Jonathan did. Jonathan said, I'm born to be the king, but you're anointed to be the king. Yes, sir. So I'm going to empty myself of that which is my birthright. I'm going to strip myself of everything that's been given to me, and I'm going to give it to you because I celebrate your victory as if they were my own. Yes. When a man of God ascends to the throne, the whole nation celebrates. So why should we resist someone else's promotion? Yes. Amen. We should never seek our brothers or our sisters' demotion. Verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Jesus became like we were so that we might become like he is. And that's friendship. Jonathan couldn't have his friend looking like a beggar, a servant. He needed to look like a king. 1 Samuel chapter 23, I already said this to you, but let's read it. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horsham. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid. 
because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be to your side, and Saul, my father, knows this. I'm saying again, a friend is never your opponent. Understand this, God is never opposed to you. God is for you, not against you. It's a shame for a Christian to feel that God might be the one causing his calamity. God is not against you. If Christ was against you, he need not die for you. If he wanted you to be miserable, all he had to do is leave you in sin. He did not save you from sin to make you miserable. He saved you from sin that your joy might be full. A friend is never your opponent, but always your proponent. Jonathan put himself in harm's way by protecting David. Hmm. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. And we'll bring this to a close. In the process of time, Jonathan died. David no longer had an object of affection. But love, listen, love does not pass away with death. Love is greater. So in a process of time, David's love for Jonathan sought an expression, and David said, is there no one? You remember last week I used the parable of those who, who saw someone naked and clothed them, and God said, if you did it even to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Love always must find an expression. So my love for the Father, whom I can't see, must find its expression in loving on you who I can. Why would I seek to do you good? Because you're made in his image. When David couldn't find Jonathan, he asked, as he said, is there no one left alive? Is there no one in the family that I can love on? I got to have someone to love on. I got to have someone to do good to. See, love will drive you. Love will will just, you got to do something for someone you got. If you know love. They said there is one. His name is Mephibosheth. And they But Mephibosheth is afraid of you, David. You want to know why he's afraid? Because he's heard bad information. Do you know why every church in America is not filled? Because people have heard bad information. If they knew the love of God, every church in America that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ would be filled to the brim because everyone would want to get in on that. But they've heard bad information. Mephibosheth thought that David is the one that killed Jonathan. And he was going to get him too. And when the news came to Mephibosheth that David's seeking you, he got terrified. But when David finally got Mephibosheth to the palace, he restored, he restored to Mephibosheth Everything that was Jonathan's. Redemption is the restoration of everything lost, everything broken, everything missing. It's not just simply standing. Can I? Can y'all give me just two, three more minutes? Imagine if I invited you to Miller Manor. It ain't a manor yet, but it will be one day. And I said, "Listen, we are putting on a banquet. I have brought in Gordon Ramsay." 
He has cooked the finest delicacies. And all of it's fat-free, gluten-free, tasteful. You ain't never going to gain weight. Eat till you're full. Come on, baby. Let's have at it. Chocolate cake until you puke. And I invited you over for a great feast, a celebration. And you came over to my house and you knocked on the door and I opened it up. And you stepped in and you stopped right there. And I started walking in and I turned around and said, the table is spread over here. Oh, pastor, this this is good enough for me. I'm in the door called forgiveness. I'm in your house, but I just don't really think we can. I'll just stay right here. Do you know how that would break my heart? That I prepared for you? I even went and bought a Lazy Boy recliner so when you're done eating, you can pass out. Kick back and relax. And you won't do it. Why? Because you've heard stories. And you've been convinced you're somehow not worthy to sit at that table. And that's most of the church. And it doesn't matter how many Sundays I get up here and beg you to believe. It doesn't matter how many Sundays I fall to my knee and say, you are the beloved of God. He's not holding you at arm's length. He wants to hug you. It doesn't matter. Grace is outstanding. Grace is offered. Just simply believe. And we stand at the door. No, 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 no. Listen, if you got to the door, walk up to the kitchen. If you get to the kitchen, sit down at the table. Because everything he's offered is yours. No good thing has he withheld from you. Every promise in him is yes. And amen. A man, Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There is no greater joy than a friend whose wisdom will always be used to promote us and whose strength will always be used to protect us. First, we must find God to be our friend. And then we will find, listen to this, first we must find God to be our friend and then we will find friends among God's people. Some of us have just been looking for love in all the wrong places. But remember, and I'm bringing this to a close, all expressions of confidence and affection are not to be one-sided only. They must be mutual. We cannot expect to get all and give nothing. That's not friendship. We cannot expect to have affection and confidence lavished upon us and return none. So pour your love out on Him and tell Him the secrets of your heart and you'll find that Jesus Christ is the best bestie ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet this morning? Pastor Cleve, if you would come prepare us. Prayer team, if you would come. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, That's the entry point. That's the place to begin. So if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, if you're watching us online and you've never received Jesus, we're going to pray, and I encourage you to pray right there at home. Receive Jesus Christ. 
He wants to restore to you everything that is yours by divine right, withholding nothing. If you need healing and you're in the house this morning or you need prayer for anything, I encourage you as we close for you to come forward and receive prayer.